All right, we're in. Uh, man, this is the Amish missing with technology. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> I'm here with Elam again. Just me and Elam, you know, having our coffee today. It's going to be funny. Uh, first off, let's talk about like the camera because yeah, let me tell you about a, this camera. I got a new phone. And I'm not sure where the camera's at. <laughs> you better figure that shit out. You can't fly by on like technologically impaired forever. <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> I'll turn you up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, what are we going to talk about today, other than? Other than our random bullshit that we, uh, that gets us through the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I don't know. Some people may have noticed that I've been having some, some craziness on my um, camera. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's some technologically impaired bullshit because there's a wonderful setting in this program that's called green screen and it was applying a different background but the background didn't actually come through and that's why it was doing that <laughs> you'd, you'd think after so many years of college you'd know better it was only two years of college fucker oh. yeah Oops. it was only two years of college two two an associate's degree and I didn't have to use my camera for that. So, you know, they didn't teach me the camera. We that should, wasn't. We should uh, record a, a session sometime in the evening and, 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 and get drunk while we're doing it. <laughs> I don't think America's ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> Call it wine. Wine with Mary. Uh, that would totally work. <laughs> so, uh, I hope our friends come on here and ask us questions because God help us if we have to look at each other for the whole session. <laughs> I know. I feel so um, upsetting by this. What What is going on? Why I got to look at you? <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. What? What you got? I'm fucking handsome. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> you believe in yourself. Got it. Well, at least that's that's not a really good Amish boy. What's wrong with you? Well, there's a reason I'm not, you know, conforming anymore. You're supposed to be Demidi. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so oh, glad. Oh, and let's remember to translate that. Demut? What does demut translate to? Uh, humility. And it's the best, the most beautiful, beautiful sentiment. There's a whole song about it. In, oh my God! Now she's in, in this book here. Here, let me <laughs> show you this what, book. You kept that thing. <laughs> oh my God! You, you uh, you are a glutton for punishment. Look, you you burned the damn <laughs> you burned the damn covering. By the way, why don't you bring your tattoo up close to the camera? You never did that for the show. What that one? Yeah. I show mean, it, I, I, I have to like, why, why you got to be so rude? All you right, want right. me to like contortion here? Well, I don't do enough yoga for this, but here. Uh, there, it's a burning covering. She burned her covering when she got out, and now she wants to sing Amish songs. Talk about. Um, no, Amish women aren't supposed to lead songs in church. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're on another level here today. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm trying to be progressive. <laughs> oh my so God. what you're saying is in Lancaster, the Amish women can lead songs? Well, actually, I think they could at, at, at the, youth, uh, the youth singings. They could. 
not in church, heaven forbid, that would, you know. Oh, no, no. The, the earth would have parted. <laughs> Good morning, Joe. And no, Chris, I'm not singing. Look, my child told I, me that well, I'm a terrible singer, even though I love singing. So, no, I'm not singing for you guys. <laughs> how, how come I can't see when people sign on or whatever? You have to click on the comments. It's not my fault you're not you're technologically impaired. All right, fine. And good morning, Stefan. See, we, we we should probably, you know, actually talk about stuff, you know. Oh, what, are we, you mean, what are we gonna talk about? Talk about how to how we learn to drive. That's what we're gonna <laughs> talk about. <laughs> how many of you have taken extra long to make a left turn because you have to wait and wait until a horse and buggy could cross the road. How many of you have done that? Not me. You've never done that? I call baloney. I think you're full of it. Oh, and Elam? You don't have enough faith to be able to see comments. You should probably up your faith a little bit in the Gutman, <laughs> which Gutmann. translates to the good man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! So, um, so I have a story about um, driving, and it's pretty pretty banal. But so I'm, you know, in my first three four months of driving, and I'm. <laughs> I'm coming up to a stop site where the stoplight where the traffic is has stopped at a red light and uh, it happens that I'm rolling to to a stop right in front of my old therapist's office and I'm you know looking in and sort of uh, probably re-traumatized or just reminiscent <laughs> boom I hit the car in front of me <laughs> and it was it wasn't you know it was didn't even so, we didn't even even exchange insurance cards because it was so minor but but anyway that's my uh that's my not paying attention while I was driving. So what was going through your mind? Well heck I don't know. I I uh, I, I um the Amish actually think that I you know my my therapist lured me away so and and I got to say that you know they they might have something there because I saw my therapist therapy experience as a very positive thing. So uh, I was, uh, you know, just thinking about all, you know, <laughs> all the crap that went down in there. <laughs> I mean, so did it work to like, could, did you pull back on the steering wheel and yell, Whoa, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know that 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 happened here here's something that did happen and um so i was i had my permit and i you know badgered or bullied a friend of mine into let me take his car for a drive and, and it's a sunny afternoon and it's you know it was must have been summer or whatever it was and we're i'm passing an amish buggy and um you know i'm i don't know intellectually grounded in in my choice to to become non-conforming there's no question about it i have no doubts this is what i need to do i'm completely relaxed and settled in in that decision but as i pass this buggy i don't know if i looked in the rearview mirror but but i saw myself in my mind's eye from within the buggy and just waves of shame just washed over me like <laughs> you know I'm, I'm not gonna lie that's actually happened to me too and you know it's 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 very complex because it's like you're you're seeing where you were in a sense, at least I was seeing where I was and where I'm at. And when you escape 
the mental imprisonment of an environment and a culture that has held you hostage, that has given you no um, space to have any kind of autonomy or freedom of expression or education or even like um, the whole structure where there's like a lack of ability to make decisions for yourself and when you finally escape that sometimes you're ashamed of where you came from i think that's pretty normal well but my my shame was different my shame was i had this idea of identity that i was um i wanted to be a good amish person and what I was ashamed of was that I was seeing myself from that place of having wanted to be a good Amish person. And even though I was was grounded in my choice of what I was doing, emotionally, I was still identifying with with the person from inside the buggy. And I was ashamed of having transgressed. And anyway, it's just this weird, um, you know, you can, you can do things intellectually and, and, and be confident and settled in those choices, but emotionally you're still tied to the old viewpoint. And, you know, it was just a momentary thing. It's not like it haunted me. Well, but, no. but, go ahead. But like also like you have all this freedom and stuff and you make these decisions that you know deep within you, they're the right decision for you. But it's like everybody and everything that you have ever known is gone from you in a way. And it kind of places you in a position where sometimes you have moments where you really think about where you were and how much you tried to be a good Amish person. Cause I, I don't think that anybody really tries to not be a good Amish person. Um, because I know I can, when you say trying to be a good Amish person, I tried Elam, but it's, it's not even, it's missing for me. I, I would identify it as something like missing the idea that I could even be a good Amish person. The idea that I could have this community to support me versus what they did. That idea, there's no hope that we're really going to ever have that. And for me, that's that's like kind of like the hope was killed. I think part of my connection at that moment was um, <clears throat> I remember uh, traveling on a, on a beautiful Sunday afternoon with my brother and his wife. And I was probably 15. I don't know where we were going or, you know, what the situation was that I was traveling with them, but, um, uh, some, some young, you know, Amish kids in, in a car passed us, you know, and they had a loud muffler, you know, and they roared around us and my, my, my sister-in-law, I guess it would be my, my brother's wife said, uh, she, she just sort of somewhat lightheartedly, but, but still, but, but seriously said to me, um, don't ever do that to me as, as they went, you know, roaring around us. Oh, wow. And, and I, and I sincerely, I, I think I, you know, I liked her and I wanted to please her, but, but I, um, I, I guess in that moment, I, I envisioned myself to be a, a pious Amish person, and I really didn't want that life. I, I, mm -hmm. I wanted to be a good Amish person. And as I was passing, as the driver of the car, I think that's what took me back there to that that I don't know what you call it dichotomy that you know I had been the person in the buggy who never wanted to be 
the person in the car, especially not drunk driving. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> anyway, we don't we don't have to beat that one to death. But um, yep. you haven't told us the embarrassing crap you did when you first <laughs> learned to drive. So let's let's keep Shut this up. story on track. Why you gotta here. put my stuff out there for everybody to hear you? Hey. Nobody asked you to do that. We're gonna talk about our experience of learning to drive, and you got to talk about the accidents and the rolled cars and the. <laughs> insurance uh, rocketing insurance premiums and oh my gosh nobody would insure me when i first got out <laughs> nobody <laughs> i had to have somebody like because i didn't i didn't have a birth certificate so in 2004 when i went away and actually by the way my anniversary for that is coming up i always celebrate it as liberation day that day to me is like, extremely important because it's like I made a choice to turn my life down this path. And that's an important decision. It's a life-changing, life-altering decision. Well, um, I, I know I know we're supposed to keep it all light and stuff, but sometime we should go into those days. Okay, like the day be, the day before, what were you thinking? Did you think did you have the confidence that you're going to do it? Was it like a Oh shit! Oh shit! I'm gonna. Oh, do I it. knew a week before that I was gonna do it. Um, but anyways, let's talk about this driving thing. Yeah, let's keep it right here. <laughs> You're getting off track. Sorry. Stay on track. Elam's <laughs> not an Amish preacher, she's, by the she's way. Actually, she's actually cursing at me in Dutch. Don't let her lie to you. He's lying to you. Oh, wait, I forgot he's a man. Everything he says is going to be true over everything I say. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> but he's not an Amish preacher, okay? So, no, we're going to stay on topic here. We're going to talk about driving. So, um, I had the privilege of, like, having these two wonderful ladies teach me how to drive. And... <laughs> Come on, spill it. <laughs> Have any of you ever seen <laughs> the video by Charlie Barron's about Midwest driving school? <laughs> Charlie's the guy that does the Mantwalk Minute. He's really funny. Charlie Barron's does a video about the Midwest driving school. And let me just say, I was in Wisconsin. I got my permit in like April or so, May, no, March, because there was, a, uh, yeah, I got my permit around March time frame. It was snowing, it was icy, whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, God. These women took their life in their hands for you. I don't even know why they put me behind the wheel of the car. Like, really? <laughs> anyways um one of these wonderful women was her soul she um left us recently um but she the way that she taught me how to drive is legitimately definitely charlie Barron's midwest winter uh, midwest driving school i just want you all to know that if you go watch that video you'll see what i learned <laughs> I mean, you could fit a walleye in that pothole. I'm of, just saying. A lot of, lot of uh, chatter going on in that video. And not a whole lot of driving school. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's but it. There's, that's, that's... there's a certain way that you have to drive in the Midwest. You're courteous. Come on. You know, and when you do the winter wave, it's two fingers like this. It's not two fingers like, um, what is his like name? Like Nick, Nixon. Like Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, so eventually I did get a driver's license. And like, I I did have a moment where um, I actually were in somebody. It was very minimal. We actually didn't like it left like a scratch on the bumper and like it, it wasn't a big deal but it was really shook up and part of the background of what happened with that is I had just like 
found out that um, one, one of my friends had just been interrogated by a detective for about an hour because the community had called the sheriff's department and said I was out there and I was doing all this stuff that I was never doing. And basically, you know, the, the, the slander and gossip that they have surrounding victims who report abuse, pretty much that, but they were using the local sheriff's department to um, harass people that knew me. And so my head wasn't exactly in a space of like safe driving. I shouldn't have been driving to be honest. I know we're supposed to keep it light here today, but I just got to point out that what Mary just described there is the church using the arm of the United States government, which is the law enforcement, to to harass people because she left. Sorry, now let's keep it light again. <laughs> I mean... You know, they have no problem with law enforcement as long as it serves their needs. See, you're not now you're just tempting me. Nah. See when 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 they when they did Wisconsin versus Yoder, that was that was using a, yep. a lawsuit to to get what they wanted and that was okay, but but and, and the criteria under which it falls under is whenever the law can be used to to enforce or enable authoritarianism, religious authoritarianism, then they're cool with it. They'll, they'll make all kinds of excuses, but God forbid anybody else use mm -hmm. the law. Every other law doesn't apply to them, even though, according to the Bible that they read, what is that verse? You're so de obrigkeit unoton say. I just love how you stay connected with your Dutch language. <laughs> I mean, what I just said is, uh, I, I don't know how to translate that exactly word for word to you. Uh, not word for word, but it means you're supposed to, to respect the government. And the rest of that verse is um, that, the government was appointed, the government officials were appointed by God. Therefore, they should submit to their rule. So, to me, that um, that specific verse is a big part of, like, why I'm completely okay with not being a part of them. Like, they, yeah. But anyways, what, let's what get we, back to driving. Well, I thought I thought we're done with driving. What? Nobody's asking any questions. Nobody no, has a Chris, question. Chris asked about our first English fashion choices after leaving. I don't oh think my. I want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, talk, talk about triggering, Chris. What Chris, the hell? <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> Send I mean, me a picture of yours. Why don't you put a picture in the yeah, comments? You yeah, go let's first, see Chris. you. You go first. <laughs> Actually. I, I think I, I've, I've seen a picture of Chris of the the first haircut. Oh boy! <laughs> I gotta tell you, um, I I know that when when I first first off, like when I first got out, um, I had two pairs of pants and two t shirts. And that was because somebody was generous enough to help me with that. They gave me some clothing to wear. Um, I ended up getting a part-time job eventually because for, I didn't have a social security number. I couldn't be hired in places because I didn't exist. I didn't have my birth certificate. I didn't have a driver's license. Um, I know that people had to write letters for me to be able to get both my birth certificate, my driver's license. And like we had to go through all kinds of steps, but eventually I ended up going down to the local um, thrift store and being able to buy a couple of outfits there. But again, like I don't want to share those pictures. <laughs> 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 I look at some of that stuff I wore and I'm like, what was I thinking? 
Oh my gosh. And we have another question. How did you find someone to help you leave? I think we should talk about that after Elon tells us about his um, clothing. Fashion choices? Let's hear about your wardrobe. Yeah, well, what's it like for a man? <laughs> well, here's uh, here's a part of my, uh, um, you know, coming out story. I had, I had, you know, pre-adolescent kids and I had to go shopping for them. Oh my gosh. That was a, that was a mess. Let me tell you. I mean, my daughter was probably 11. Uh, by she, you know, we didn't, I, I, I came out very gradually. I just stopped going to church and, and, and I, I got, I got a different job, which I could ride my scooter to. So not a lot changed immediately, but, uh, so, so my daughter may not have like, we may not have done clothes shopping for another year or so. So she might've been 11 or 12, but, uh, she was probably more sophisticated than I was. So, <laughs> so she, I, I think she did all right. I just got to say, like, your your face, like, you know, what happened to your beard? And why do you have a mustache? That's not a good Amish man, Elam. That's the first, that's the first thing. The second I stopped going to church, I let that fucker grow. <laughs> <laughs> just had to rebel. Show the whole thing. I had an Amish beard, pretty much an Amish haircut, and a mustache. <laughs> That was the only outward expression that, you know, things were changing. <laughs> wow. But yeah. here's, here's, a, here's another story about clothing. I, I don't know what the time frame would have been of this, but I'd say several years. Maybe I'm stretching that. I just felt so uncomfortable in, in my choice of wardrobe that... Frequently, I just kept dressing Amish. You know, I just wore my good Amish pants and, and a shirt and suspenders. And uh, I, I just felt so uncomfortable. And I was like, fuck it. And that, of course, eventually fell by the wayside. And then, then the horrible fashion choices came into play. <laughs> Nonetheless. But that was part of my story is I, I was just... I don't know. It's just so much change was happening. And, and I really felt uncomfortable in my own skin in, in these other clothes. And of course, then there was also a point where I start, I felt uncomfortable in Amish clothes because, uh, what did Chris say? Chris said they showed my bad haircut to me. Yes, but you didn't show it to the whole world. That's what you're asking us to do. <laughs> Furthermore, that wasn't a bad haircut. <laughs> it really wasn't. Um, what was I talking about? <laughs> bad, bad. Um, well, um, it, it was it was a relief eventually when I did, you know. Um, I always felt conspicuous in my Amish clothes too. Uh, so to just to just have a pair of jeans and a t-shirt felt so nice that I'm not being confined. You know, well, no, I, I saw it as as if I was in Amish clothes, I was representing something, which I then wasn't really cool with anymore. And so to just not be carrying that image was a big relief. Um, <clears throat> but that that was my experience. What was your experience, Mira? How do you feel in non-Amish clothes? Uh, well, there's a really a level of uncomfortableness that comes with it. Um, I think that we should answer the question from Stefan and talk about how we found somebody to help us leave. Because for me, somebody helped me. I don't know about you. 
I just, I don't know. Really uncomfortable for in, a while. In, in the clothes, yeah. Yeah, for a while. I still have a really um, weird conservative, not conservative, depends on the day. I don't know. Like, I dress the way that I dress, and it is what it is. Like, today, you're seeing me in this shirt, and that's what I'm wearing today. Not exactly good Amish woman garb, but it's comfortable. What? We should talk about Stefan's question. I'm coming to it. It takes me a while, you know. Uh, my, Amish experience, so my Amish experience taught me to think a little bit before I open my claptrap. So don't push me. Don't rush me. Hey. Hey, what? What? Plus, I'm giving I, you the opportunity to I'll talk go about first. I'll tell you about this. So this is what happened. In 2003, um, I started, first off, I had reached out to a non-Amish man that drove around the Amish people. And, and I was talking about bad things happened to me, da, 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 da. And this man went behind the Amish people's back and reached out to a crisis intervention center for abuse, made me appointments, and took me to fucking therapy to see a therapist that was licensed outside of the Amish community, outside of the Plain community, not like Rest Haven or Whispering Hope or, you know, any of those other facilities, etc. None of that. An actual licensed crisis intervention center that so, was for abuse victims. I started seeing a therapist. Let, let and me the get therapist, a question, question in for God's sakes. So I know we're supposed to keep it light here, but how did you get away? Like, what did you tell your family or your parents when you went with this person to see a therapist? I told them if they didn't let me go to therapy, I would run away from the Amish. Wow, you're fucking thrown down, aren't you? And anyway, so the therapist recommended for me to attend a women's, an abuse women's group. And I went to an abuse women's group for a while. And that is where I met the lady that helped me get away from the community because her background eerily Eerily, even though she was she was a former Mennonite church member, her background was eerily similar in the way that the church condoned the abuse in a way that, like, just as we all know, like, the, the plain people in churches like this, like, they, they all do it pretty much the same way. That's how I found somebody. I mean, of course, eventually I did end up running away anyways, but there's that. Well, um, I think this is good uh, to to understand that we couldn't have done it without help, and and I I also just want to. I would have killed myself if I didn't get that, out of there. That's that's what I, I tried. Wanted, that's what I wanted to say. I I really believe that if I wouldn't have gotten out, I would have either committed suicide or I would have. Uh, I had three young children, and, and I believe that I would have either killed myself or I would have bolted where I would have just walked away and, you know, nobody would have known where I was. Or And that's really horrific when you think about, Christ, Mary, weren't we going to keep it light today? They asked uh, me a <laughs> but, question. But let, let me, let I'm me trying just, to we, answer. I, 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 you know, I... Here, here was my in. When I was a child, my fucking parents sent me to a psychiatrist just because I was precocious. And they had no, I, I was not mentally disturbed or, or mentally ill in any fucking way, shape, or form. But they sent me to a psychiatrist to subdue me. And, and what happened is then years later, uh, once I wasn't seeing anybody anymore, you know, at mental health professionals, 
I was comfortable seeking out, um, and, and the form it took is, was marriage counseling. And, and so, um, so, so I, I ended up reaching out to mental health professionals through that, but then ended up in a, in a men's group. And it was, it was that kind of, uh, familiarity with openly talking about, you know, our, our life issues that, that enabled me to be grounded enough in myself to, to make those decisions. It's, it's, it's just horrific. This, the thing of it is, it's a class issue. For, for example, when I, when I made the decision to leave, we had, uh, my, my then wife had a, had a serious uh, chronic health issue and we were uh, just sort of scraping paycheck to paycheck. I'd asked the church for help. They refused to help financially. So my point is we didn't have money. We couldn't just, you know, we, we got kicked out of our house cause I wasn't going to church anymore. We had to look for a, another property to rent. Boy, this is like veering off the rails. <laughs> Why are you going to be so serious? But let me ask you this. So not only did you lose like the support of the community, your housing, your all your livelihood, all of that, but, but like did it affect your family because, you know, the sins of the children rest upon the parents and the sins of the parents rest upon the children? Yeah, my daughter was like, life. my daughter was like, 10 years old and she she was a little socialite and she was making friends with these very popular girls and it freaking broke her heart when i said i'm leaving because she knew she instinctively knew this is gonna wreck her social life and she cried uh, anyway <laughs> sorry <laughs> fuck you who brought who thought we were gonna keep it light today <laughs> But, to, you know, we, we had all this, we had all this help. And I, I think the, the point I want to make about that is that uh, what, what, our, what our goals are is to create uh, the kind of institutions that, that create um, resources for people who want to leave. So right. that, because it's truly this kind of barbaric situation where if you want to leave, you're so unprepared and unless there's help there. And, and one of the things is, you know, the help that usually is there is these evangelical Christians who, uh, I got to say in, in some ways they, they are good help. Um, but it's very, it's very complicated. They're, they're, uh, they're, um, authoritarian they're religious authoritarians in themselves so even though there is a step where where that help is is helpful in the sense that evangelical christianity functions like liberation theology for for people leaving the confines of the amish church it's uh rife with other problems um as they get out into evangelical christianity but uh, see if I can get on track again with how how I got out. You know. It, um, so there is a question from the audience, and Stefan asks, "Why would you be kicked out of your home?" And I would also like to point out that Stefan made this other statement that there, Stefan is a direct descendant of Hans Herr. As much of this is family background, I'm legitimately surprised and disturbed. That's really sad. Um, and there's a Matthias Miller ass saying, you look familiar. Do you know? <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> he just has that Amish face. Is that it? I don't know. <laughs> um, I have oh. no idea. Um, why would you be kicked out of your home? I think that goes back to the, like, when you rent from an Amish family in 
Well, it was it was never clarified to us why we had to leave. Um, but but beyond us having to leave the home that we were renting, uh, the Amish people wouldn't rent to us either. So we, there was nowhere to go. And and the problem with that was that my my then wife was choosing to stay compliant. So she needed a horse and buggy. So so we you know the infrastructure of of housing is that only the amish people have room for a horse and buggy <laughs> so we were screwed i mean we could we could have rented from some sort of uh, gentleman farmer situation but the the prices for those the rent prices were way out of our reach and what ended up happening is is these um old order mennonites who were in the in the neighborhood where my where I grew up, uh, didn't have these theological restrictions to renting to us, and that's where we went. And it was sort of a godsend for us in terms of giving us this space to slowly transition, allowing Leah to have a horse, my my wife Leah to have a horse and buggy, and and just that yeah, was. Yeah. Um, but I, I, the point that I wanted to make about how it's a class issue, we had all these hurdles and they were frequently, they were financial hurdles. hurdles. We lo I lost my job because I couldn't work, stay working for my boss who was Amish. And that's not all the, always the case. There's, there's quite a few Amish compliant Amish people that relinquish their compliant status, but they have uh, successful businesses that aren't dependent on, on Amish people. And so they can just say, fuck you to the church and almost nothing changes. They, they own their own home. They have a, a business that's not dependent on the Amish people and almost nothing changes. They're just like, yippee, here we go. But for us, it was this grueling experience of you know and i couldn't i didn't have a car i only had you know I, I didn't even have a high school diploma so my ability to get a job was really restricted because you know <laughs> i literally could only go somewhere where the public transportation would take me or i could get to on a scooter and so my options in terms of what normal sort of non-Amish society thinks of, well, how can you get a job? You just hop in your car and you go apply somewhere and you already have a high school diploma or maybe even a college degree. Anyway, it's, it's this really challenging thing, especially if you're, you know, if you're rich, if you have financial income that isn't, you know, affected by your church membership, it's nothing. But boy, if you're not that lucky, it's pretty stinking hard. Yep. Um, would you say that, you know, a lot of Amish rent? Because I know a few Amish that rented. Um, I don't know how many or what percentage. Um, I see that we have a bunch of comments on all this stuff. Um, so one of the questions is this. How many rent compared to actually own their home? Well, that's that's another thing that um, there is no public housing for se for se per se. Uh, the, the, you know, you you here's what happened to us. The first place we my my then wife and I rented was. Uh, a farmhouse that was owned by an old order Mennonite guy. And, you know, it was great living there, except once this guy's son married and wanted the, the house, we had to go about three years time. Um, the next house we went to again, you know, there, there is, it's just, if you're renting as an Amish person, you're, you're just at the whim of, whatever property or house happens to be open and and you get booted out as soon as that owner's family wants it 
And, and so there's this amazing instability sort of baked into the system. And, and, and I, I just want to talk a little bit about that. Take, for example, a young couple. You, you, you have to have this infrastructure of a house, a barn, a meadow, a, a, a horse, and a carriage, which are practically useless to you in terms of transportation, but you have to have them. So it's an expense. So if you're poor, you you lay out this enormous expense. You either have to sort of pay for it in instability because you're only borrowing it till the owner's family needs it. And and you, if you compare that, say, to uh, a young Quaker couple, they they're allowed to live in the city or in a small apartment. They can use say a used car from that they got from family and maybe they can use public transportation partially their actual expenses are just a fraction of what what a young uh, amish couple is expected to somehow you know it's it's this crazy and so if 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 it's if your parents aren't helping you have a property uh, or you're wealthy enough to, to have a property, you're just screwed. Yeah, that's well. And then somebody points out in the comments that the English perception is that Amish owned their homes or their home was built and given to family members. I, again, like that's not the case. Well, that's talk, not exactly talk, how it works. Talk a little bit about what happened to your family when your father passed away and and you just got shuffled around to you know the oh my gosh well that's oh. a lot and also way back when somebody asked how it felt wearing pants versus dresses and i'm sorry but i will always prefer pants 99 percent <laughs> of the time pants are just so much more comfortable to me and that's just the way it is anyways um so going back to like what happened, so for those who don't know, um, my biological father was killed along with my uncle and my cousin when I was five. And they were hit by a driver that was driving under the influence in their horse and buggy. All three of them were killed. The horse was killed. The buggy had like one wheel left intact. There's like this whole story about it. So they had a huge, massive funeral for three people on five days later, which is beyond the standard Amish period of mourning. You're supposed to mourn for three days and bury your dead, and then it's over. And that's what God has wanted, and you should, um, you know, apply to that. But what happened is they ended up having a, they had an auction. They sold off the entire property, the leather shop that we had, and then they had us go live in a house on my grand, my paternal grandparents' property so we lived there for a while and then they had us go live in another house in a different community on my maternal grandfather's property um so we lived in the doughty house for a while then they built another house and then we lived in that house but like it, it was like one of those things they built this house there were nine children living in this house with one with a widowed mother and there was literally an attic that had like no rooms. There was one bedroom in this entire house. Why would you do that to somebody? Wow. So then they ended up having us move to this other property in the same community. And we lived in this old brick building. There were four bedrooms upstairs in this house, which was better, but still like not exactly. I mean, when you think about it, so that's that's a lot of kids to put in a four-bedroom house. Anyways, um, that house burned down. They built a new house. Were you fucking and, playing with matches, Mary? No, that wasn't me. That was my brother. Sorry. And let's talk about this. The church assigned men over the over the money they gave to my egg donor because you know a woman cannot possibly manage money, and so 
she had put a polyurethane finish on the furniture in the living room. And I had a little brother that didn't feel very well. And so he was laying on the cot in the living room, but all the furniture had this polyurethane stain on it that wasn't exactly like dry. So it was flammable. It was an oil-based product. And he started playing with matches. And when he played with matches, the entire living room just lit up on flames. He had third degree burns on his legs. They actually took him to Cincinnati, Ohio to the burn center. Um, so what they did then is they shuffled us kids out to different families until they built us a new house a couple months later. So then they built this new house again, four bedrooms, because, you know, that's all you need for that amount of kids. Um, at this point in time, like we literally went through a period of where we didn't actually have good food to eat. I mean, like to this day, I will never willingly partake in any freaking ribble soup. That stuff <laughs> kept me alive, but it is the most disgusting food. Like we, that was all we could make. And, and another thing is, is when they brought us meat, all they brought us was their livers. It's like, we're, we're going to bring you food, but all we're going to bring you is livers. So you imagine sitting there for months and the only pro protein that you have is freaking liver. How healthy is that? You think that's healthy, Elam? <laughs> I, I just want to point, point out that this is... This, this is the social safety net of a community that is portrayed as being so wonderful about how they take care of each other. Oh, and let's not even talk about all these different places. There was all kinds of sexual abuse going on of children, pedophilia, all kinds of it. And um, anyways, but let's continue with well, this. Yeah, what the hell? I thought we were going to keep it light. <laughs> well, might as well be factual while we're at it. Let's continue with the shuffling well, around. Here, can I can I have you can I ask you a question? Um, could you would you be willing to uh, talk a little bit about why you use the term egg donor for your your biological parent? Let me finish talking about the shuffling around, and then maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, anyways, so after that, we moved to a different community. And we lived there for a couple of years in 1996. My egg donor got remarried to my stepfather. And then we moved to Wisconsin where we lived in Cashton. And then they sold that farm. And then we moved to Chaseburg, which is where I got out. So this is about four, five, six different moves in, in what, 12-year um, period? Seven different moves in a, let's see, from 1989 to 2004. Don't, don't reveal your math skills. You went to Amish school, too. You should know how to do <laughs> <laughs> math. Scrapes, <laughs> it's like almost an hour already. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, you went to Amish school, too. You should know how to do math. <laughs> All right. You, you, so, you, if they sold off, what was that question? If they sold off your parents' property, why wasn't the home purchase for your family? What they did makes no sense. It's almost like they punish you for someone else's mistake. You know, we were mocked. Kids wouldn't play with us because we didn't have a dad. Kids were cruel to us. They would beat us. Um, the last time a child actually bullied me in school, um, I'll never forget the school. Um, but it ended up like it. it... Did you punch him, Mary? <laughs> you know how we play ball? <laughs> I accidentally threw my bat and it might have hit him in the balls. Oh my goodness. Oh, mess But he never Mary. bullied me again. It was an accident, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't mean to, it just happened. All right, so. Um... 
Um, but also like it kind of like when Elam talks about the structure, like I would say, I mean, wouldn't you say that they they kind of like it's not necessarily the spirituality that's the problem. It's the fact that they 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 um, put they put children in this place where they're um, um, messed up by religion. And it has some long-term effects. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I think so. I mean, my my experience was wildly different from yours in a lot of ways. But um, there's... Like, it's just, it's different, but I do think that that is, yeah. See what, one of the, you know, Mary, Mary's experience sort of was a, was a, a response to her, her, her father dying and, and they, you know, kind of taken on this second class citizenship. <laughs> oh boy! If it happened, that's a whole other episode. I don't even think it'll be covered in one episode. So, you, 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 why are you asking us smart questions? questions? So, um, um, oh, should, should you talk about what? Um, somebody wrote me a personal thing. Um, there's there's somebody who um, was adopted. My parents told me if they would have known I was dark, they would not have adopted. What? That? Let's talk about racism for a minute in regard. <laughs> That's to another episode, Mary, for crying out loud. <laughs> we, uh, we, we've got like, well, like three minutes left here. You yeah, it's true. You, you need to talk about, you know, why you why you use the term egg donor for your biological parent. Just very briefly, you don't have to go into some, you know, five hundred word essay. Just, just, just say that this is a term you use to refer to your mother. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Because to me, after I became a parent, I realized that number one, like no parent would ever do some of the things that she has done. Like I went to her for help. I got no help. As a matter of fact, I was blamed. I was told I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't believe hard enough. Like, you know, my make love one. Your, your, your faith wasn't good enough. Yes. I, I just uh, and wanted the 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 audience to to just understand what your reference is and why and at least a brief explanation right. of what what that's about. I really really want to talk about the racism too. So let's finish up this episode and why don't we talk about racism next time? Okay. Um, but let me that's finish a- my whole egg donor thing. So the thing about um, my egg donor is I tried for many years to have some kind of like healthy relationship with her even after I got out of that situation and after she like went to court and, you know, my egg donor was charged with neglect and failure to aid a victim of a crime. Um There was a realization that I had. She sent me this last traumatic letter. This is literally the last words from her is pretty much um, your rapist came to my house and they spent the holidays with me and it was so wonderful and it's so sad. There's no hope for my soul. And, you know, I, I, I love you. And I'm like, that's, that's not love. Like when, when you condition your love based on whether or not your child believes this way or that way, or your child meets your expectations. That's not love. 
that is a very conditional way of manipulating your children to become what you want them to become and not allow them to have any form of autonomy or self-expression or even any form of happiness in what they want to do in the world. And that's when I had to cut it off and I never spoke to her again because she's not really my mother. Can I just suggest we never attempt to have another session where we keep it light? What? Because it didn't work. <laughs> I'm working but, on that. But, but thank you. Thank you, Mary, for another, um, another episode. Yeah. It's, it, let's not go long here like the Amish Bredeha. Where, Elam, really? We don't talk yeah. like the Amish preachers. Yeah, but we're going over. Oh my, we got to stop it. Okay, bye, people. Thank you bye. for listening. <laughs>